0: So back in freshman year of high school, I tried out for football. That was kind of my big thing. I really, I mean, I wanted to play football. I loved playing backyard football. I, I, I loved playing as a kid, throwing the old pigskin around. <laughs> And the running and the catching and the tackling and, and throwing and all of that stuff. And so, uh, freshman year, um, my parents finally conceded. They said, "They said, no, we don't want you to play as a, you know, as a kid. We don't want you to play football in middle school. Once you get a little bit bigger, a little bit older, so you can handle this. I mean, it's a contact sport. Um, so, as a freshman, I try out for football, and um, you know, I'm I'm probably one of the littlest." guys on the on the team uh, just no doubt about that i'm i'm just a little guy and i'm i'm doing my best to try to try to figure this game out but I, and i love the game and i had I, I came to the game with with a few skills but what i learned right away is that um most of what football practice is about is not necessarily running plays and and you know scoring touchdowns and doing things like that uh, most of what football practice is about is drills. You know, I, I don't. If, if you've ever played football, you know what I'm talking about. You're you're learning agility drills. You know how to move and how to cut and how to weave. Um, you're doing drills with your as a wide receiver with your with the routes that you run, so you can be in the right place at the right time to make a catch. Um, you're doing tackling drills. You learn how to tackle properly and safely and without fear, hopefully. And then especially there are those drills that we did at the end of every practice. Conditioning drills where we just ran and ran and we, and we did push-ups and we did crab walks and we did bear crawls and you name it. And we were just like, why are we doing this at the end of the practice? We've been here for two hours. We're exhausted already. And now he's got us running these drills up and down the field for the next 20, 30 minutes. A lot of us ask the question, why? Especially me. I thought, why in the world are we doing this? I, I want to play the game. I want to actually do it. I didn't understand all that was going on, but I did have enough sense to trust my coach and just do what the coach told me to do. And so kind of, uh, you know, that be obedient to the coach. And, and... and Week after week or day after day as we practiced, I got stronger, got a little bit faster, and got some aches and pains, um, recovered from those, and then came back and was able to play the game. I didn't understand everything, but again, as I said, what it came down to is just trusting the coach. And, and doing the things that He said to do. Because He's been doing this a long time, and He understands what we need. As a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, when I look out amongst us and I see here a group of believers who are following Jesus, it's, it's very similar to that kind of concept. We don't always understand what Jesus is doing, We don't always understand what Jesus wants to accomplish ultimately in us. We don't always understand who He is and all about Him. We might have a lot of question marks in our lives as disciples, as followers of Jesus. But as we obey, we learn to trust Him. We learn that He's faithful. We learn that He asks us to do things for our good and for His glory and the good of other people and to accomplish the mission. Maybe we could say even scoring touchdowns and winning games in the spiritual life. So today, I want us to explore in Mark chapter 8 this idea of seeing clearly. Because really what seeing clearly is is about understanding. It's about understanding who Jesus is and what what He has sent us to do and, and why we're here and why we're following Him. So let's look together at Mark chapter 8, verses 22, and we're going to read all the way to verse 30 today. Verses 22 to 30. And if you're able and when you would like to stand with me, um, I'm going to invite you to do that as I read it aloud. And um, I'll read aloud. You can follow along with me in your Bibles or on the screen today. Mark 8, beginning at verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village, and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, help us understand today from this word what you would have for us. And that we ourselves will go away from here seeing clearly. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I want us to kind of talk about what it, what this passage teaches us about seeing clearly. And the first thing I want uh, to look at is that seeing clearly is a basic human need. It's a basic human need. Now, you are all sitting here today, and I think for most of you, your eyes um, see fairly clearly. Uh, Some of you are wearing glasses, which means um, they don't see as clearly as they could without... So you got the glasses on to help you see a little more clearly. And that's... um, and that's a good thing but but seeing clearly is a basic human need, both physically I mean we were created with two eyes to see the world around us and to see other people and and blindness is is a problem right it's a it's a big problem and th- that's what's going on with with uh, with this man in this passage they came to Bethsaida this little this little town and it is Probably a large village. Um, it's, told, it's called a village twice in this passage, um, but there were many villages in this part of the uh, part of Judea and Galilee and and uh, Caesarea Philippi and the Decapolis and a lot of these villages have a lot of people like they're like they're like more like Moxie plus size um, several thousand people but they came to this little village um, and they and the people brought to him a blind man and they begged him to touch him now before we kind of unpack all of the, the story with the blind man and, and how Jesus healed him and the, and the process that it took. And um, before we get into all of that, it's important to understand where we've come from in this passage. Um, right before they come to Bethsaida, Jesus and his disciples had a conversation about leaven. Do you remember that? Last week we looked at this passage in verses 14 to 21 a little more closely. And in that passage, Jesus was asking his disciples in beginning in verse 18, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And then he ends that question and answer section with them, with this, do you not yet understand? And that rhetorical question is ringing in their ears as they go to Bethsaida. Are we blind? Are we deaf? Having eyes, do we not see? Having ears, do we not hear? And so here, Jesus is uh, is approached by some people with a blind man they ask him they beg him they urge him they, they likely they're they're falling on their on their on their knees before him saying please help this friend of ours who has been blind he's been blind a long time help him touch him we know that you can touch him and heal him well why do you think jesus is doing this here oh, and why do you think Mark, as a writer, throws this, this passage in there? says, you know what? I need to tell that story. I need to make sure that my hearers hear about this blind man. Only Mark, in fact, this is, a, this is one of those unique stories in the Gospel of Mark. Now, Jesus healed many blind people. And you can read about, in fact, we'll read about one in a, few, in a couple of chapters. In chapter 10, Jesus is healing another blind man. And in, in the, all of the other Gospels, blind men are being, are, are being healed. Jesus restores sight. But this time and this place is very unique. And Mark is including it here because the disciples themselves had been blind to who Jesus really was. In fact, the reality of Jesus was, escaped them because of their own physical needs that we saw in that last story. Maybe it was hunger. Maybe it was the need to, to position themselves against one another, to be right. But this basic need of being able to see clearly is what's center stage for Jesus and his disciples. So what does Jesus do? He affirms this basic human need. He affirms this need to see clearly by leading the man by the hand. He needed to be led by the hand. He wouldn't know where he was going. But Jesus takes and, 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 and gets intimately connected with this man. Holds his hand. Leads him out of the village. Spits on his eyes. Lays his hands on him. He does all of these things because he has compassion on this man who's in need, who has this need to see. So he treats him with compassion. He treats him as an, as, as an individual. He takes them away from the village so that his, his senses can be um, tuned into to Jesus and what Jesus is doing for him rather than what all is going on around him. Jesus heals the man because seeing clearly is a basic human need. But it's also process seen clearly as a process this is an interesting um, passage because you might ask the question like um, my daughters asked earlier this week we, I read this passage with them and wanted to get some of their insights and questions about this passage and the question was well why didn't Jesus just heal it C- couldn't he have just healed him like that he didn't need to spin on his eyes lay his hands on him and then and then in verse 25 lay his hands on him again. Why does he do that? Was there a problem with the man's faith? Did they not did did he not believe? Did he not have enough faith? He only had f- enough faith to be partially healed? Uh, did did his friends not have enough faith? Uh, those are those are some of the questions and and honestly uh, Jesus and Mark, here, in, in writing this story, he's not get, he doesn't want to answer those questions. He's not interested with that. What he's re- really interested in is what Jesus is doing. And Jesus, in his persistence in healing this man. I don't know if you've ever tried to heal a blind person, but I hear it's difficult. And so maybe the point here is that it is difficult to see Clearly. And seeing clearly does not happen overnight. And if we take that into the spiritual realm, you can see how, I hope you see clearly how true that is. That we don't automatically understand everything. When you put your faith in Jesus, um, did everything look different, feel different? For some of you, it may have. For some of you, you're thinking, gee, that was so long ago. If we'd like to see more clearly now, I'd like to understand more now. I've got more doubts now than when I first believed. I've, I'm going through more difficult circumstances now than I did when I put my faith in Jesus as a child or as a, as a young adult. Seeing clearly is a process. It's difficult. It's gradual. And 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 what's on. On display here is the power of Jesus shown in its, in its persistence and his patience. And he doesn't rebuke the man when, when the man says, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And one commentator um, said, said um, if you've ever walked down a London street a few generations ago, and bumped into something and said, oh, excuse me, sir, only to discover it was a lamppost, you can probably understand maybe what this man was feeling. He could see things, but all he could see was these columns sort of moving about. Trees walking about. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't rebuke him for that. Well, you don't have enough faith I'm done with you. Jesus persists with him. He's patient with them. And he touches them, touches him again. He's been doing that with his disciples, hasn't he? He performs a miracle. And then he explains it and teaches them. And then he does it again. Remember? Back in... Chapter 8, verse 1, In those days when again a crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, Jesus had compassion and He gave them something to eat. Jesus is patient. For all of His corrective words to His disciples, do you not understand? He's trying to get them where they need to be. And sometimes the patience and persistence um, is kind of like a coach, (laughs) Kind of like that football coach who's saying, get up off the ground, run that drill again. You can do it. Do it right this time. Keep your head up. Hey, fix that problem. It's oftentimes these small steps of obedience or the, the small bits of revelation that we receive that help us understand better who Jesus is and and what our lives are really all about. It helps us to worship Him in a way that He deserves. I I see this all the time when I'm meeting with the guys I I meet with in discipleship group. And we are reading the Bible together, we're praying for one another together, and then suddenly there's an insight. Where God is revealing something to that individual's heart. And he's, this, I need to do something about that this week. I need to walk in a different way. I need to be obedient in this way. Those small things, those are the process that God is continually trying to reach out to us. He's continually trying to teach us, show us things. Uh, I'm reminded of Philippians 1 6, where Paul writes to them saying, and I'm sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's God who has begun this work in us as believers, and He is going to persist in it. And He's going to bring it to completion. So He is patient with us, like, like Peter says in his second letter, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, that he's patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He's patient with us. He's working out this gospel process in us as we look to Jesus, as we learn more from Him, as we learn to obey and we build on our faith. It should also, though, I think, remind us that, and I don't know what the disciples thought when they when they witnessed this. I, we don't have a, a record, a clear record of of their processing of this miracle. Um, maybe they were frustrated with the man, and they thought, "Why can't he see? Why why is why can't he just you know be healed when Jesus touched him? I mean, we had other things to do." Jesus, let's go heal some other people. Why are you spending so much time with this guy, or that guy, or the other guy? And we've seen that many times in the story. God's patience with us, though, ought to motivate our patience with others. <laughs> Don't you think? When the people we love, and the people we're trying to love, <laughs> let us down, or maybe they're not where they need to be, We know it. They know it. Reminds me of one of the songs that we sing. Every once in a while, I think we sing it at Summer Children's Program. It has a line, God's not finished with me yet, right? We sing that over, God's not finished with me yet. He's not finished with me. He's not finished with you. But He is patient with us. And he's working that out. So that's a call, really. That's a call for patient obedience. It's not just patience as in, that's the way I am. That's who I am. Just be patient with me. Just, you know, just let it go. I am what I am. It's not a call to be, to stay where we are. It's a call to be patient, but also obey. Seeing clearly as a process. But, but notice also, as we think about what Jesus is doing in this passage, we can also see that seeing clearly is a gift. Seeing clearly is a gift. See, the man didn't heal himself, did he? The man didn't bring himself to Jesus. His friends brought him. And that was a gift from his friends. They had enough faith in Jesus. They understood who Jesus was and what he could do. They brought him to Jesus. And then Jesus healed him. He didn't heal himself. Oh, oh, sure. Faith was involved. Faith is always involved. The, the faith to, to go with Jesus. Even that little bit of faith with like, I don't know what you're doing, but something's going on here. So I will follow you. You will. You're leading me by the hand, and I'll just I'll just go with you. Well, that's that's faith. But ultimately, it's a gift from Jesus. It's Him doing the work. A few years back. Um, I had the privilege of going under the laser and having corrective eye surgery. And, um, you know, for years, from the time I was a freshman in college, I should have probably had glasses before then, back when I was a freshman in high school. I probably could have seen the ball a little bit better as it was coming at me. But from the time I was a freshman in college, I wore glasses, and I kept wearing glasses until my kind of early to mid 30s, and I. I got the opportunity to go get this corrective eye surgery and I thought, wow, wouldn't this be great not to have to worry about are my glasses clean, where are they, I can't see, I, I want to wear sunglasses, but I need pre- prescription sunglasses so I can see in, you know, in the sun and all of that stuff. Well, that was a wonderful thing. And you know what, it was, it was, it was a gift to me from the United States Army. The army said, we'll give you corrective eye surgery because that will be better for us and we won't have to buy your glasses every year. We won't have to give you, pres- you know, prescription lenses to put inside your goggles and your know, this or that. And so it was a gift from the army to me. And when I went in to that surgery, I took the medicine that they gave me, which was a gift from them to me. And then I laid there on the table with my eyes pointed straight forward. And the, and the doctor, who knew the equipment, and he had done thousands of, of surgeries like this, he said, sit very still and trust me. And so I sat very still, and I trusted him, and I looked. I focused on what I needed to focus on. And in about five minutes, I was up from the table, and he had given me the gift of sight. Nothing about that was due to me. I couldn't perform eye surgery on myself. I couldn't do that. But He could. All I had to do was receive that gift and, and trust Him in the process. And isn't that what's going on here in this story? This scene clearly is a gift. It's Jesus who's doing it. And he opens his eyes, he looks up, literally he looks up and he sees Jesus and he sees everything clearly now. Because Jesus has reached down and given him a gift that he could not give himself. chapter ago, at the end of chapter 7. Remember the deaf man? The man who was deaf, he couldn't hear, and he also couldn't speak plainly. But when Jesus takes him away from the crowd and privately, he touches him, and he sighs, and he says, be open, and suddenly the man could hear, and he could speak plainly again. And, and remember what they said they were astonished beyond measure Mark writes saying he has done all things well he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak And here he is making the blind to see um, pretty powerful when you remember what we what... Um, kind of what we came away from if you remember what we came away from in that phrase where they're 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 marveling at him and they're saying he has done all these things well they are they are recalling that the messiah the christ the promised one god's gift to us in fact the presence of god with his people in isaiah chapter 35 would, would do this the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped this is no uh, this is uh, this is god with us The Emmanuel, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ, the Anointed One, God's gift to us. Seeing clearly is a gift. Not not just what happened to this blind man, but to us who need Jesus to do something in us spiritually that we can't do. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And in Ephesians 2, 8-9, Paul writes there, For by grace you have been saved. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. Hmm. One thing about seeing clearly is that we've got to acknowledge that it's God at work. That it's a gift. That Jesus is a gift for us. That our understanding of him is a gift. That if you've come to faith in Christ, it's a gift. That if you're growing in your faith, it's a gift. Jesus has done, done something and is doing something in you that is from him. And when you're discouraged and you're frustrated, remember that it's a gift. And when you're dealing with difficult circumstances or relationships, and and life isn't where you want it to be, remember that your salvation is a gift. That what you have is a gift. It's a gift for us. It's also a gift for others. Maybe what we could do as we think about this and think about Jesus... And think about Him being a gift for us. Maybe we can practice a little bit of what these men do. These people who brought a blind man to Jesus. You know, maybe if, if we see Jesus clearly, we will be motivated to bring others to Jesus. Like He is. Like these men here. And maybe that's the gift that we give to somebody else the gift of his presence with them the gift of his of his salvation the gift of the word preaching and teaching to them so you might first of all pray intercessory prayers pray for those people that you've given up on pray for those people who des- desperately need to see clearly who Jesus is and pray for them and keep praying for them and then bring them to the places where they're going to come in contact with Jesus to the worship gathering or the missional community or a discipleship group I just had a friend of ours um, tell me just the other day hey, I talked to that friend of mine that I've been wanting to invite to do one-to-one Bible reading with me And he said, yes, I'm interested in that. And I'm like, yes! Bring people to Jesus! Right to the Word of God! So that they can hear! And so Jesus can can touch them! And help them to see clearly. And have that gift of new life that they need. That's their basic human need. Seeing clearly is a basic human need. Seeing clearly is a process. Seeing clearly is a gift. And if we see Jesus clearly, we will be motivated to bring others to Jesus. But this fourth thing leads us into the last little paragraph there. That seeing clearly means seeing Christ. Seeing clearly means seeing Christ. And uh, there's there's, there's some things to unpack there about seeing Christ. let me, let's do that right now. Jesus went on with his disciples. They left Bethsaida, and they went to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Now, I can't give you a whole background on Caesarea Philippi, but let's just, suffice it to say, it was an area of northern uh, Palestine that was under the control of Philip. He was one of Herod's other sons. And so Philip had control of this area. He'd been ruling in that area for a long time. And he had named this particular area, in fact, he named a city Caesarea Philippi, both after Caesar and himself. He thought that would probably be good. So he paid a little lip service to Caesar, but he also said, you know, but I'm pretty cool too. So we'll name it after myself as well. This was a place where Caesar was Lord. This is a place that had temples and monuments to Caesar. It was a place that Said, if you want to, if you want to worship the ruler, the king, the emperor, this is the place to come. Caesarea, Philippi. So while they're there, and while they're seeing this this city and this place, and and they're they're on the road, on the way to through all of these villages in this area, um, Jesus takes time to check with his disciples. who do people say that I am? What do they say? Well they say similar things to what they were saying a couple chapters ago. Some of them think you're John the Baptist, come back to life. some of some people think that you're Elijah um, kind of raised again like the new Elijah or maybe one of the other prophets in in Matthew's gospel he adds, maybe even Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. So, the people are, uh, the crowds, people in general, think all of these various things about Jesus. But interestingly, in verse 29, he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And that, that, that's what I'm really concerned about. It, it's not so much what other people are saying about me. Uh, that was just a lead-in question. That was just to get to the point. The point is, who do you say that I am? Which is the point for all of us. It's one thing to say, well, my, my parents said this about Jesus. Or my grandparents used to bring me to church, and this is what they, they taught me about Jesus. Or, well, in the church I grew up in, it was like this. But who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is when somebody asks you, who is this Jesus? What do you have to give them? What's your answer? One of the commentators in looking at this passage talked about this idea of of what we say about Jesus, what we think about Jesus. And he uses this, this theological word, Christology. The study of Christ. The study of who He is. Understanding, you know, basically all of our beliefs about Christ. And he said this, a a reduced Christology. In other words, where He's less than all that God says He is in the Word. A reduced Christology can ultimately lead only to even grosser heresy. For it inevitably makes Christ only a forerunner. In other words, somebody who goes before the one, but not God's last word to rebellious mankind. And that's who Jesus was. Jesus was the word. God's final revelation of himself to us, to humanity. He wasn't another forerunner. He wasn't another John the Baptist. He wasn't another Elijah or Jeremiah or another prophet saying, God is coming, God is coming. No, he was God's last word with a capital W. He was God in the flesh. Come to his people. And if we get him wrong, then we could fall into all kinds of heresies according to this commentator. And I believe it to be true as well. Seeing clearly means seeing Christ. Seeing that He is the Christ, and and Peter's answer is is, is somewhat emphatic here. He says, "You," and in in the in the original language, it's kind of like one of those that's underlined, you know, put right at the beginning of the sentence and bold, underlined, italicized, um, with all caps. You are the Christ. Nobody else. Not Caesar. Caesar is not the anointed one. Caesar is not our Savior. You are the Christ. The Christ is the Greek word for anointed one. The word in the Old Testament is Messiah, the anointed one. The one whom everybody was anticipating. Who if we go all the way back to 2 Samuel 7, there's a reason why we read that passage earlier. We'll see that God is promising David. He said, David, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. A a house is in a family. And and it's going to be a lasting family. And there's going to be somebody who's going to come from you, one of your descendants. And his throne is going to last forever. And that's who Jesus was. Descended from King David. He was the one. He was the Messiah. And then you see these predictions in Isaiah and, and in Jeremiah and in various places that it's 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 David's son who's coming. He's the one. And and they were all anticipating this. The word Messiah or Christ was on their lips. Could that guy be the Christ? Could that guy be the Messiah? I see this happen like every four years in this country. Could this president be the one? Could this president be the one? Jesus is not another earthly president. He's he's not another king to rule for a while and then leave his throne. He came to rule forever. Peter got it right. Peter got it right. He said, you are the Christ. In in Matthew chapter 16, uh, Matthew adds these other words, the Son of the living God. And then in John chapter 6, Peter says, who else should we go to? Who else should we follow? You have the words of eternal life. Peter got it right with his words. But we're going to see as we move forward into the Gospel of Mark that he didn't yet fully understand for him, seeing clearly, he was still a process. A gift, nonetheless, but still a process that he was going through, trying to figure out, trying to understand who Jesus was and what it really meant for him to be the Christ. So, in a, in a few verses, Jesus began to challenge their uh, meaning of what discipleship is. So, if I go, can go back to that that football story I started with. Doing all of those agility drills, and you're doing your tackling drills, and you're doing your conditioning drills, and you can't seem to f- to find figure out a reason why this is happening, why you're going through this. Well, the reason is because the fourth quarter is coming. The game is 60 minutes long on a football field, and by the time you get to that fourth quarter, you're exhausted. You've been running, you've been tackling, you've been catching, you've been cutting here and there, you've been getting your face smashed into the turf. If you're like me, that happened to me a lot. You're banged up and and you're bruised and you're wondering, can we go on? And you come out of the huddle and you get onto the line again and you run the next play and you realize you have enough endurance to run that play. In fact, you have studied the plays that the coach has given you and now you can do them safely and you can do them effectively at the end of the game when it really counts. When the game is on the line and the score is close, We don't always understand. We don't always understand what Jesus is trying to do or what or even all of who he is. So we press on and we trust him. We follow Him even when the, the way is dark. We follow Him even when we can't see as clearly as we want to see. We follow Him because we know that, that His call on our lives is a gift. We follow Him because we know that it's a process and we haven't learned everything yet. But we will, over time, learn what we need to learn. If we see Jesus clearly. We will keep on learning Him. And he use that term. Learning Him. Refining our understanding of who He is and elevating our worship of Him. If we see Jesus clearly, we will understand Him to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, even if, it's, even if we don't have all of our questions answered. We will keep pressing into Him. We will keep learning Him. And we will do that by what the Church has called for, for, for centuries, the means of grace. We will keep worshiping with the Church family. We will keep disciplining ourselves to be in the Word, to read the Bible, to pray, to serve other people, to serve with the gifts that He's given us. We will keep using the means of grace to learn Jesus, which is all about discipleship, obedience to Him. So, If we see Jesus clearly, we will keep on learning Him, refining our understanding, and elevating our worship. And as you saw earlier, if we see Jesus clearly, we will be motivated to bring others to Jesus as well. So where are we at? One of the things about seeing Jesus clearly is if we see Him clearly, we see other things clearly and other people clearly. Something that... um, Something that C.S. Lewis said when he was talking about his, his trust, his belief in Christianity, he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, the sun, but because by it, I see everything else. And when we see Jesus clearly and we, we understand who He is and we keep on learning Him and we keep on growing in our understanding, we're going to see the world around us more clearly. We're going we're to see ourselves and understand ourselves more clearly. And we're going to understand others. And we're probably then going to see them through Jesus' eyes with the kind of compassion that He's calling us to. The kind of compassion, the kind of love, the kind of concern that He models for us as well. So, let's keep on bringing others to Jesus. Let's keep on learning Him in faith through the Word together. Shall we? Let's pray. Father in Heaven, I thank You for the time that You've given us this morning. And this too is a gift from You. And I thank You that You are not finished with us, that You're continuing to work in us, continuing to teach us and give us understanding in who You are and also the world around us. So Lord, however it is that we might might need to obey today, help us to do so. For Your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.